<clears throat> the following is a fan-based podcast. Dikai, Kai, Digital Era, and Entertainment are all owned by Digital Era Entertainment and Mario Bueno and Joel Gutman. Please support the official release. Yeah, I could have probably done a little bit more detail on there, but anyways, uh, we all thought of that about five minutes before show went live. So, welcome, welcome everyone to Dikai, Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. I'm your host, Joel. I have Mario with me today, and today, in case you couldn't tell already, we are talking a bridge series. Woo! Fanda parodies for the win! <laughs> and it seems that uh, you already have a fan of your introduction from uh, Dancing Red Sox in the chat. Hey there, Remy. <laughs> <laughs> good good news for you remy he warned me he was gonna do this so there are no f-bombs for you to to take out in post (laughs) yeah oh man uh yeah i definitely uh f-bombed off stream because of how hilarious this idea was so thank you for that joel (laughs) but Uh, anyways yes i'm back i still have not had a chance to watch much anime this week i've probably caught like five six episodes of my usual ten um because I've been working on the radio drama script for The Great Mouse Detective, which is going to be next Saturday, uh, August 28th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So do tune in for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm a couple episodes behind, like I said, on some things, but still no more than two episodes behind on any given thing. And uh, it's that, you know, middle part of the season. We're on episodes 7, 8, and 9 for pretty much everything now. We're really into the swing of things, but it's in that mid-season sort of lull where things are going about their business, whether it be just slice-of-life stuff, doing their slice-of-life thing before you get the penultimate episode, two-parter, and, you know, dramatic reveal. Uh, The ones that are more plot-based are just going about their plot. Nothing too major to report from what I've seen so far. The ones that I've had good opinions of are continuing along. Aquatope on the White Sand is still really, really good. Kageki Shoujo is really good. The thing that has me worried, so Aquatope on the White Sand feels like a very self-contained thing. It's an original work, it's a PA work, and they're very good at their original stories and making sure they have a good beginning, middle, and end. I have no worries about that. Kageki Shoujo, I am becoming increasingly fearful, will go the way of Smile Down the Runway. Which is to say, oh, it's so? freaking which to say is it does everything really, really, really well, and then it sets up a season two and then doesn't get a season two. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Just think about it. We At this point, I am assuming that Smile Down the Runway is dead, that it's not getting a season two. But we loved it. We put it in our top ten uh, yeah. for 2019. I think it was like number nine or eight. It was really, really good. But then remember, at those last couple episodes, they, you know, get through the crisis of the week Mm -hmm. or, like, you know, the the crisis of the season, that they had a a big finale-worthy thing to do, and they did, and that was cool. But then it's still, all right, you know, I've still got a long way to go, a lot to learn, and he enrolls in a class, and they set up this new rival, and it's very clear that there's still beef with other rivals, and that's all. Yep. And for Kageki Shoujo, which is a very similar one where it's, you know, they're learning about their craft and trying to become professionals in their craft, there's no way in heck that we're going to see the end in 13 episodes for this. And I know that it's based on a manga which has, I don't know how many volumes, but more volumes than will be covered in 13 episodes. That much is for sure. So. It's really, really good. Go watch Kageki Shoujo, please. Cannot recommend it enough. But I'm just, I'm really getting worried because at the pace they're going, which is, you know, a good pace for a manga, but very clear that this is not, this was not a, you know, two, three volume manga that was adapted. It's something that is more significant. And I don't, I really worry that shoujos in general don't perform well in anime. And I'm sort of having to just sort of condition myself and accept the fact that, okay, I need to enjoy this now because 
I'm not expecting a season two. Enjoy what you got while you still got it. <laughs> really sad. Uh, but still I, I watch mean, it. Like, I'm still going to recommend Smile Down the Runway to people. The way it ends is not bad enough that it undermines the series. But certainly it's not. very much the type of thing that you're left wanting more because it is so good. Certainly so. <laughs> but yeah, there, it, it could also just be another instance of, you know, an extended delay. Lord knows we've seen plenty of those. And I suppose, I suppose. Yeah. But we've... of all the things, there's a lot of series that come and go in one season that don't fulfill the entirety of their source material. And I feel like it takes something that becomes particularly popular, that it needs to reach a threshold. And I have not heard buzz around Kageki Shoujo. Well, to be fair, I've been really busy, so I haven't had my ear to the ground on buzz. But just, it doesn't feel like the type of thing, really by nature, of it being a shoujo. I can't remember the last time a shoujo got renewed for more than two seasons. Hmm. Yeah, that would, uh, In general, that you, that yeah. it's, it's not an isekai. It's not a shonen. It's not a particularly iconic IP. The deck is very much stacked against it for longevity. Yeah, so there's, well, again, we'll, we'll have to just wait and see because we've been surprised before. Um, although I do agree, it's, it's definitely not one of those shows that has, you know, generated the requisite buzz, like you said, because it's certainly one that hasn't been on any radars that I would use as a metric for, oh, this has a good chance of getting renewed. No, yeah. qu no questions asked. So yeah, fingers crossed that they they don't do the thing and leave you hanging because <laughs> yeah. that would be very unfortunate with how much you're enjoying this show. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we've actually discussed it here, but uh, the great Jahi will not be defeated. Finally started. It was the silver link one that has oh, the yeah. ending song done by the three whole alive members. That is a uh, adaptation of a manga, which is uh, second in command of the demon forces gets defeated and sent to earth and due to her loss of power she is now inhabiting the form of a little girl very much in the vein of um devil's a part-timer and it's very good Hooray. it's not you know breaking any barriers or doing anything revolutionary but it is very solid there's nothing really bad i can say about it right now it's just been very very enjoyable animation is good characters are fun it's that you know slice of life big bad person was knocked down a peg and now has to live paycheck to paycheck and isn't very acclimated to human culture excellent no it's good to hear it, because it's, it's one of those that really could have gone either way so it's very yeah. nice that it, it actually you know lived up to silverlink continues their streak of adapting good stuff that it's not well, it, it's some, the thing I say all the time about Silverlink. They never, they never, you know, adapt stuff that's going to redefine a genre. But they have whoever it is. I don't know if it's an executive board or if there's a creative director there that has the say. But for whoever is in charge over there, I always give them kudos that they have a fantastic eye for genre, genre pieces that do their genre really well. And this is yet another on their list of, okay, we've had this before, we've seen it before, but dang, this is a good iteration of it. Yeah. That is excellent. Yeah. Sonny Boy continues to be the most surreal thing I've seen in a couple of years. It's really good. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but I like it. It, it feels like uh, Satoshi Kon stuff, honestly. Oh. It's that type of crazy surreal weird o okay then <laughs> yes okay. I, I, i'm i'm at the point where i am comfortable invoking that name yeah uh, that that is not a, a name that one would generally drop lightly so i i'm gonna take that one to the bank um and again given the discussions we had just from the preliminary materials uh that were made available it, it definitely had that potential so interesting to see that it is in fact realizing it yeah. And, and then some. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, wow. All right. It, it's the type of thing that I very much see ending up in the top 10. I don't think it's going to be like top five worthy, but this is one that it's going to come into discussion once, uh, you know, December rolls around.
to figure out where it goes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely worth watching. Well, you, Have you had you a chance to here, actually folks. watch anything yourself, Mario? <laughs> um, funny enough, I did yesterday. <laughs> but nothing new and something that is becoming a bit of a recurring theme for the uh, appearances I've been making on, on the show lately. And, and weirdly enough, uh, not only roundaboutly ties into our main topic, but also definitely is paving the way for a future discussion that we are going to need to have here on this podcast. Uh, so last night, I finally got to rewatch um, Rebuild Movie 3 from the Evangelion Rebuild movies. Uh, I have not seen it since uh, the, the f original release of the Funimation Blu-ray. And I saw that with our, our mutual pal, Adam, when I was uh, making a visit down to his place in the DFW. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been it's been a little while since I've seen uh, Ava Movie 3. Um, I've been rewatching uh, some of these films because Lara had never seen the rebuild films now that they're on Amazon because of uh, Ava Rebuild Movie 4 finally being out. Um, I missed out on rewatching the first film. That's fine, whatever. It's basically essentially a retread of the early episodes with some small variances to set you up for when things go off the rails in Movie 2 and when things just become a cluster <laughs> in a uh, movie three uh, before movie four weirdly makes sense out of everything in movie three, um, which I definitely came out of my rewatch uh, feeling, but yeah. Uh, so rewatched Ava movie three. I still attest that it is the weakest of the rebuild films, but weirdly by necessity, it's basically a prologue to movie four. That's it. it it's a 90 minute prologue. Um, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of it does not make any freaking sense <laughs> like at all you your brain will hurt even if you just w are, are watching the rebuild movies in order because it, it just it, it just bombards the viewer with so much stuff and minimal answers and then leaves you with more questions also the teaser is horrifically out of date <laughs> because uh at the end of each of these rebuild films they did like a next episode thing which i thought was a little a little gutsy <laughs> to put it politely uh for these films because it's like um a lot can change between when you're previewing this and when the final release happens as what happened with movies three and four um so that was kind of an amusing footnote um but yeah so overall glad i rewatched it i'm looking forward to finally finishing the the quadrilogy uh hopefully on monday that's when we're looking to finally uh you know plow through the the final movie um and yeah, I'll definitely have some more fresh takes now that I've had a chance to, you know, reprocess all of these rebuild films and hopefully see the the second movie or the final movie a second time. Um, speaking of Evangelion, this sure was a week for Ava fans, was it not? Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we finally heard about uh, the, the Evangelion Blu-ray edition. Uh, that, that one is uh, being put together by G-Kids. Uh, it is a $275 set, um, and that's going through the uh, the G-Kids online store. The big thing about this, besides the fact that it is going to be, you know, a full series plus original movie compilation, so we're talking, you know, Death and Rebirth um, and End of Evangelion. Now, when you say full series, do you mean the original 26 as well? That's precisely what I mean. So okay, we're talking so this the is a complete correct edition. This is not just... The quadrilogy this is all of evangelion correct and it's it's interestingly gonna have not one but two dubs <laughs> oh and they're in, wow they're including all the dubs oh yes they are having oh, wow the, the classic adv dubs which makes wow sense i would have i've never heard of a release that had two english dubs it's but always it, been the new one supersedes the old and you know if you ask someone, yes, it exists, but as far as, you know, the industry is concerned, it does not exist. See Sailor Moon. Yeah, no, this this is a weird one because the original was held in such high reverence that, you know, they brought back basically some of the, the key actors for the, the rebuild dubs, uh, including, you know, the recently released one. Um, but then, you know, you have the weird situation with Netflix. So it's a it's been a thing, <laughs> but okay, so it is it is cool that they are including both. So that's just like you get to to have these two very unique and distinctive interpretations of the source material. So that's okay. pretty cool. 
because at first when you said $275, I was like, geez, giving Anaplex a run for their money here, literally. Right. Um, <laughs> just my initial thought was, okay, four movies for $275, that's frankly absurd. But oh, if no, we're no, talking. Okay. Yeah, it's it's so, 26 episodes plus two films, um, but with dual dual dubs. So oh, yeah, wait, it's uh, so we're not ta- we're not talking the quadrilogy in addition here. It is just the correct. Okay, yeah. so that that reduces the value a bit because at first I thought that this was all of Evangelion being the 26 episodes, the two compilation films, the quadrilogy. Oh God, I I, wish I was it thinking was that. it was that. And I was like, for 275 bucks. Oh, that's a steal. English dubs? That's not unreasonable. No, and, that's and even if it's okay. So minus the quadrilogy doesn't make this the holy cow that's expensive but it's a deal type of thing that i thought it was but we're talking 26 episodes two dubs and then two movies precisely that's not absurd it's still more than i'd want to pay but i'm sure that plenty of ava fans will pay it yeah and considering there has been a distinct lack of uh high definition physicals for this series uh like the yeah, last that's the other thing was the fact like that just options don't exist this isn't like you know when uh anaplex got some uh gurren lagan back but there were still older versions of the bondi release floating around yeah yeah, basically, like, you could only get the, the old DVDs either if you already had them and kept them from your previous purchases or if you bought them, like, super scalped. Um, and also, uh, Jeff in the chat is mentioning a whole bunch of interesting things. I'm just going to quickly mention one of them, uh, specifically that they used the... Uh, they, they recreated the Laserdisc edition art for this set. <laughs> That's kind of a cool throwback. It's like, whoa. All right, so we're digging into that <laughs> that kind of aesthetic for uh, for the packaging. So that's that's honestly pretty cool. Yeah, so, okay. uh, so I suppose the way I think about it here is I would pay, I think that paying $50 for a 13-episode collection is pretty reasonable. It's a, that usually I'd want to pay 40 for that, but I think that 13 episodes for $50 is okay. Oh, there's one other thing that you're mentioning. It's funny you mention, you know, two of the digits involved in this statistic. Um, it's apparently a limited release. Uh, it is 5,000 copies. Oh, never mind. Well, it, limited quantity completely throws all conventional metrics out the window. I yeah. assume this is not the only release in that case. Uh, I mean, from my understanding... There's this, no this way they're like... only going to print 5,000 copies of this and then just say well everyone else is sol back to scalping or whatnot you say that <laughs> but it i'm would still salty print money i can i can understand saying all right we're gonna have our special edition but there's no way they don't have a standard edition in this right if it's I i've seen uh, places if, if, that do we only release limited edition quote unquote which is to say it has premium stuff it is in a pretty box and it has all the bells and whistles, but it's an unlimited run, but it's quote-unquote special edition. And I've seen we have special edition and normal. I've never heard of we have limited run special edition, and this is the only set of copies of the material that will exist. couple things about that. So first off, they apparently all sold out in eight hours. So that Thursday was this past Thursday, so yesterday. <laughs> so eight hours, and those are all gone. Secondly, I'm frankly surprised it took that long. Um... Yeah, no, something like this actually happened over on the Marvel side of the fence uh, with the Infinity Saga uh, Blu-ray collection, which I am still so mad about. It was a Best that Buy That doesn't exclusive. count. You can still buy all mm. of the individual ones. They're still on the market. Mm. They still but, print Iron Man DVDs. But there, there was like a particular set of exclusives bundled with only that edition. So unless you're like watching That's YouTube fine. Rips. That I'm, but the trouble is here with Evangelion, like you said... The actual normal series is not widely available. You can still buy Iron Man 1 DVDs, standard edition, but you'll get it on HD, Blu-ray, and whatnot. But for this, those legacy printings or just, you know, sort of perpetual printings of the standard version does not exist, unless yeah. I'm forgetting something. No, no. Uh, and, that, apparently and that more is the news... difference, because I can understand having a special edition that's very coveted limited but then there's still the standard stuff available. 
Yeah. And there's more news coming in about 10 days, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to do that okay. because they did that for Gurren Logan with the Aniplex releases. Yeah. They had like mm-hmm. that big fancy box and then they did a reissue for an anniversary a few years later. Um, and I was just going to follow up with, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, it, everything you're saying about the Marvel thing is true. The only reason I, I took umbrage with the whole thing is there is still no one complete collection, even at a standard level. You still have to like MacGyver together an entire collection. Mm. It would have been nice to have had a standard edition of that full package. That, the thing that's is, I can understand I that make. for Marvel because it's 20 flipping films and most people would have bought at least one and feel that there is value lost in buying a complete collection because you'll have duplication. Whereas for here, they don't. Yeah, again, taking into account all the variances, um, yeah, this is this is and the sheer volume of stuff that would be in there, and how long people would have likely been accumulating the individual parts of MCU versus Evangelion. Yeah, Um, but again, uh, it looks like we're we're probably going to get some more info about that. Uh, It sounds like it's about ten days uh, from what I am seeing here in the chat. Uh, so yeah, chances are we'll still be able to get our hands on a nice complete edition of Evangelion. Uh, so yeah, that was another thing that kind of made last night's rewatch very relevant to this week. And to kind of tie it back into our main topic of the day so we can get into that. Uh, one of the things we will be talking about is one of uh, <laughs> one of my all-time favorite fan dub parodies. I know I saw mentions of one of the best catchphrases of it in the chat. Uh, so th- this this has been a weirdly Ava-centric week, and yet we're not actually having an Ava discussion. That is still TBA. <laughs> so fan dub parodies. Uh, this again, part of this was fueled by um, you know the, the the recent rewatch of Evangelion. Like I mentioned, one of my all time favorite fan dub parodies uh, is an Evangelion based fan dub parody. In fact, there are two very notable ones. One of which is the one that inspired this, and another one that I will be discussing when we get into the topic a little bit more, but uh, fandom parodies have really come a long way, uh, yeah. especially in more recent times. Um, I- I'm going to definitely defer to you, Joel, to kind of like introduce some of our two big heavy hitters, because even though I have watched decent selections of one of them, um, it-, it sounds like you've you've logged many more hours <laughs> in the no, latter. Not, no, I think you overestimate, but I think that we cover for each other's weaknesses because I watched... Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged series up through the Noah arc. I know it's kept going at a very slow release pace that Little Kribo does not uh, churn out episodes as he once did, um, but I've only seen scraps of DBZ Abridged. This so, going into my perpetual thing of, you know, being under undereducated on DBZ, but I think that you have a lot more knowledge on DBZ Abridged and not so much on Yu-Gi-Oh! So... Exactly. (laughs) I was just about to say, so yeah. Yeah. Please continue. For reference, I looked it up. DBZ Abridged Episode 1 was released on June 6th, 2008. Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged Episode 1 was July 14th, 2006. So these are all uh, well over a decade. And uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged is a decade and a half, effectively. Actually, yeah, exactly a decade and a half as of last month. Mm-hmm. And I remember just there was a time in 2011-ish when, you know, both of the two big ones had hit their stride and a bridge series became a cottage industry for a couple mm-hmm. of years that they started popping up everywhere. That There was Death Note Abridged. There was, a, well, we'll get to Code Geass Abridged. Don't you worry, folks. <laughs> There was Evangelion abridged. There was multiple abridged series of pretty much every major franchise going because people saw, wow, this is cool, and it became sort of a trend. And this was before the day of streaming, so it's really all video content creation right now, and basically it became a new genre. That there's There had been fan dubs for a while, but... The idea of a parody fandom really hadn't come up before, or at least not hit, quote-unquote, mainstream before. Well, and certainly not in terms of an ongoing, because a a lot of what I was going to bring to the table for this discussion, these were, for all intents and purposes, one-offs. They were were meant as, like, standalone, uh, if not Single gag videos. 
if not OVAs, like definitely short films or or feature length films in some cases. So yeah, this it, do, doing an ongoing series was not normalized until you had Yu-Gi-Oh abridged and and Dragon Ball Z abridged. Um, but yes, please continue. Uh, that's about it for the history lesson part. Um, one thing that I do want to get into a bit as we go on is just where Little Karibo and Team Four Star went and the fact that you can very much point to these two as the uh, springboard for their professional careers. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and it's, like you said, there was that period where because of their collective work and the the professional uh, accolades that they essentially generated along the way, um, that it, it really did transform the idea of what a fandom parody could be and, you know, where, where it could really take you. That's why you started seeing, you know, this explosion of other fandom parodies. And I, I would say, um, at least in terms of that particular period, it kind of, it kind of apexed uh, with the very short-lived, because uh, haha, that opening copyright warning, uh, Attack on Titan abridged <laughs> the the glorious one episode <laughs> that we were I'm able to get out of this that. one please educate oh, me oh my goodness uh so it was a team four star joint uh and it is oh it was something else uh <laughs> it it was your very typical um team four star uh presentation but they they swung for the fences they uh brought out like their their best cast and guest stars that they could get for it um, it, it was obviously very rapidly received because this was at the beginning of Attack on Titan. Um, like there are definitely some bits that I still quote to this day, even though it basically was scrubbed from the internet because, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Pony Canyon in particular was not too thrilled with that one. <laughs> uh, cause Funimation usually was pretty cool about just letting a lot of these abridged shows slide. Um, but yeah, certainly that that was like one of the the big moments uh, right before it got scrubbed. But it was one of those things that really showed the influence uh, specifically of Team Four Star. Uh, like you mentioned, a lot of the members of these teams have gone on to do a lot of um, a lot of professional work in uh, in voiceover, uh, in particular video games and to some extent anime. Um, and a lot of them have also uh, cross-collaborated with uh, other popular channels that have also exploded in the past uh, decade since. Uh, you know, great example being uh, Takahata 101 doing Goku for the the Superman versus Goku bits for Death Battle. Um, that was that was one of those big crossover moments uh, between you know these these big popular uh, YouTube shows. Um, I know certainly in River City, uh, in the River City Girls game, I think at least a couple of members of uh, Team Four Star made it onto that voice cast. And, you know, that game's getting a sequel and is basically a darling within the uh, the, the gaming scene. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm actually having a hard time like cat, uh, cataloging all of these these different uh, either intersections or or, you know, notable highlights, because that's that's how much it exploded and how much of an impact they've left. Um, and you look at the shows that were kind of the foundation of that. Unsurprisingly, Yu-Gi-Oh! Huge mega hit that has a huge fan base. Dragon Ball, huge mega hit, has a huge fan base. Attack on Titan, do I even... Okay, so it was uh, Masako X, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, so Takahata did uh, Nappa and Perfect Cell, um, which leads me to another more recent um, example of these things. I'm jumping a little bit out of order because I do also want to jump back a little bit further back from the point that we were starting at. Um, a more recent example is Devil Artemis over on YouTube. I love Devil Artemis's videos. They are the best kind of weird. They are um, basically uh, MMD style uh, uh, videos. Um, you know, the, the using using like 3D models. Uh, he's upgraded everything since, and it's even become a running gag of budget increase or budget decrease depending on the character. Uh, and it's kind of spun off of one of the more popular segments from uh, Team Four Star's work, uh, the the Cell games, where they had this long running gag of just Cell versus insert random character from other pop culture uh, property here, <laughs> just showing up and just having a one off. Uh, during that lengthy uh, gap between the start of the or between the declaration of the the cell games and the actual cell games, 
Uh, so that has spun off into its own popular YouTube channel, essentially. Um, and to, to take it back even further, so the reason I said Evangelion was kind of a, uh, a tie into all this, uh, there's a bunch of stuff that uh, definitely predates uh, what we were talking about here. It was certainly part of my formative years uh, as an anime fan, especially when I started getting into the convention scene. Um, some friends of Digital Era Entertainment uh, were the reason <laughs> I even found out about some of this stuff. Um, so there, there are some notable names and studios I want to bring up. Uh, there's one studio called Studio uh, so uh, Sokode. Uh, they were known for uh, parodies such as Fanboy, uh, Fanboy Bebop, Nescaflone, and one of the best, <laughs> The Goat, Evangelion Redeath. Uh, that is one I definitely still quote to this day. We already saw references to it in the chat. It is a fever dream of the early 2000s. Uh, I rewatched it fairly recently. A decent amount of the jokes hold up. Some of them are very dated at this point, um, but it's one of those that it's hard to find because of its age and also, you know, the, the nature of these projects. Uh, so they're a lot more susceptible to, you know, takedowns on, on um, platforms such as YouTube. Um, so a Ava Redeath, it's one of those, if you can track it down and watch it, please do yourself a favor, especially if you're an Evangelion fan. And even if you're not, like there are some, there are some good deep cuts if you are well-versed in your 90s and early 2000s culture. Um, and another one that also took a very interesting route. Uh, there, uh, there was another uh, fan dub uh, creator, uh, non-DE Films. Uh, it, it was run by uh, Scott Melzer. Uh, he actually was involved, um, I believe, with, uh, with Otakon's uh, fan films and AMV's department. So like one of the people who over time would go on to help uh, organize this. I actually had interacted with him uh, back around like 2006, I was double checking my emails just to like make sure I got the time right. So basically in the time after uh, we showed Final Fantasy versus Kaiju Big Battle at Otakon, I was in touch with this guy who did one of the other uh, fan fandom parodies that is worth a huge mention because it definitely left an impression on fans who saw it at the time. And that is This Is Otakudum, which is is basically a mashup of uh, all these different anime clips to tell a cohesive story, believe it or not, <laughs> about a trip to Otakon. <laughs> it is very creative, and it's one that definitely, uh, you know, makes fans who experienced it at the time, you know, really, really associate uh, the convention days of old, well, uh, for us of old, um, with with this particularly uh, unique piece of fan media. Uh, though the last major work uh, that uh, this this production group put out was a movie called Steam. I never got a chance to see it, but it is still available on uh, on the YouTube channel for uh, non DE films. So uh, yeah, these are these are some of the early days that definitely begat all these uh, all these newer ones and again all of these were standalone projects so uh, Ava Redeath that's like a one hour short film this is Otakudum that I recall was also like short film length but it was it was a standalone there was not going to be a sequel to that um, another another fun one that I wanted to bring up because this one originally was uploaded funny enough in the year of Yu-Gi-Oh! Bridged Casey and friends, <laughs> Joel. If this one rings a bell in any capacity and for you, means nothing to me. I'm so sorry. I was gonna say it's because we talked about it in our group chat back when Emmy was cast as Rena in Higurashi. Oh, because this is the one that was done by by Afia that I forgot was done by Afia, who is in Higurashi <laughs> in in 2020 what? and beyond. So a fan dub parody. That was ragging on the four kids style of um, of all this was originally produced by not just a well-known working voice actor, but a well-known working voice actor who is in the newest installments of the series. <laughs> that just blows my mind because holy crap, you want to talk about stuff I wouldn't have seen coming 15 years ago. <laughs> that was that was definitely uh, one of those things. Um but again, these were all just short individual segments. They were not, uh, you know, ongoing, uh, ongoing serials like your Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged, like your uh, Dragon Ball Z Abridged. 
And now that we've, you know, kind of jumped around the timeline a bit, uh, there were a few others that you mentioned there, Joel, that we definitely need to dig into because one of them has easily another one of those best bits that if you know it and someone just starts it for you, you will see it through to completion and laugh every time. I'm at soup. <laughs> every, every freaking time, I swear. Oh, oh, please, please tell us about this particular bridge. And also because, you know, we already checked the box, but we're going to check it that much harder. Code Ment, the Code Geass Bridge series, which I have seen all of one episode, and it is the soup episode. It's just this nonsensical back and forth gag of Suzaku and Lelouch talking back and forth because I don't even remember what the heck uh, Suzaku is supposed to be looking for. Um, no, he was going clothing shopping. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that he was like, uh, I, I can't find any clothes. Uh, I can only find soup. W what? There's only soup. Why soup. are you at the soup store looking for clothes? Where, 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 where are you? <laughs> I'm at the soup store. Just, it's, we're obviously not doing it justice. If you know it, you know it. Just yep. look up Code Geass Soup Store. You'll find it. Yep. It is completely illogical. It's, by all rights, entirely unfunny. But gosh, if it doesn't hit the funny bone. That it, there's nothing academically comedic about it. It's just, Suzaku's an idiot, and the word soup is being yelled a lot. That's all there is to it. There's nothing creative here. There's no pun. There's no gag, really, other than just soup. The word soup. Yeah. And the performance, the two give, for whatever reason, resonated. And I don't know of anybody who really knows anything else from Codement. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the 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 fact that you know even these standalone bits leave such an impact. I I do want to and use this like uh, that one as, only as... has one, but Yu-Gi-Oh the abridged has brought us many many a meme. Screw mm -hmm. the rules, I have money. Yep. Episode one, baby, timeless. And that one became an, a running gag of its own throughout the series of Screw the rules, I have green hair. Screw the rules, I have insert thing here. Brooklyn in America. Rage. <laughs> in, a, in America. Brooklyn Rage for Joey Wheeler. All these just... There was a lot of memes that came out of those, and uh, this was really in, you know, the infancy of meme culture as a whole. So, uh, Mario, we kind of grew up with these, and that's part of why, if you're listening to this and you did not watch these series in the early 2010s, you're probably not super interested in this episode because this probably sounds really freaking weird and just meh. I encourage you to look these up. Like Mario said, some of these jokes are going to be dated. It was mid-2000s and 2010s. There's going to be some things that are now rightfully considered off-color. I will yep. <laughs> refer to the Looney Tunes standard of uh, they are products of their time. To pretend they didn't exist is a greater disservice than anything. But do I think that they are very enjoyable still and... Uh, in most cases, the people who have, who were responsible for these jokes have also learned themselves over time. One thing in particular, uh, while DBZ Abridged was a team thing, that Team 4 Star, hence the name, there was a group behind it. Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged, for a very long time, was a one-man production run by, uh, I can't remember Little Kribo's real name, it's Martin something or other, but yeah. the man did everything himself. He voiced every single character, major, minor, male, female, you name it. And he edited it. He did the, the dubbing, the... Everything of that was just him. And my gosh, you can see the growth of this man's talents, both vocally and writing and editing, whole thing. Over time, it's been so cool to see him grow. He still does a couple every so often. He streams now. Um, like Mario mentioned, Takahata101 is, hey, hey, he's a VTuber now. Uh, one of the few That's VTubers right. that usually in VTuber culture, it is considered off-color or even taboo to reference someone else's quote-unquote past life. That is very distinctly bypassed when somebody with a quote-unquote past life 
uses the same handle for their VTuber. That it is Takahata 101 being Takahata 101, no real character there, uh, just working with a virtual avatar, has been very open about his past and present from the get-go, so he is uh, an exception to this rule. Also, yeah, Junji, it, it, it's not Takahata 101 <laughs> operating under some new thing, and we're saying, by the way, this VTuber is actually Takahata 101, that if you just search Takahata 101 on Twitch, you'll find it. Or you'll find him, rather. Uh, and it's cool to see that. The other thing is, some people here actually parlayed their work into professional VA work. Not all of them, uh, but a couple of them got a couple roles here and there. And as I was sifting through some things, I found one very interesting one. And it's that uh, somebody that you and I have interacted with professionally, Mario, Erica Harlocker, had a role in Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged series. She was Rebecca Hawkins. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> now, the thing that's interesting about this is that was in, if, uh, let me double check this, I believe it was in 2016, which strikes me as odd, frankly, because her professional career was established at that point. And it is almost unheard of for professional established VAs to do fan-dub work. Um, True. It hits but... a, a gray area in terms of, you know, uh, professional stuff. It's sometimes considered to be lowbrow. So, you know, more power to her. It's cool to see that she did it. Um, and she's one of the few, if not the only one that I know of, that went in reverse of already had a career and then dabbled a little bit, did a guest role in an abridged series versus... Like I mentioned, a lot of these people have parlayed their abridged series work either into full-time content creation of their own or into professional work in the industry. I was going to say, uh, considering the time frame you just presented and, you know, uh, Martin, Martin Billity, by the way, thank you for that. Thank Jeff. you. Um, Look at look at where Martin was professionally by that point. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things of just calling in a favor. It wouldn't. Well, be weird. It, it's not that I'm surprised <laughs> that Martin was able to get in touch with Erica. They may very well have been friends from back in the day or whatnot, or just oh, easily she would the, be aware the of it. Scene. I'm I'm a bit surprised that I guess maybe I'm overestimating how taboo it's considered. But I would have thought okay. Does that put her at risk in terms of, you know, doing this? We have the disclaimer of this is a fan-based parody, but I guess it's not considered as unprofessional as I might have thought, or maybe it is considered unprofessional why she's the only one. Um, I'm not I, sure. I can say but right it's now it's... um standout. <clears throat> oh, yeah. No, no, no. Um, back in, like, the the early days of all of this uh it definitely would have been you know a lot more a lot more dicey but with the popularization of you know these fan dubs because of you know these video yeah. platforms and because i suppose of it's probably media. on a project by project basis that for well frankly better it seems that konami is content to well they weren't always content to allow you the bridge to exist that uh martin had instances of copyright claims and there was a while where uh he actually shelved the project because there were issues but it's spun back up again and with erica's involvement i assume that i don't know if there were discussions with konami or if konami just sort of laid off but at this point konami seems to be accepting of its existence and content to just let it run its course whereas I mean, like you mentioned the... with titan they... abridged that mm -hmm. it got clamped down on real fast. Yeah, Lord, Lord knows that Konami could use all the good PR it can get. Um, but I was also <laughs> going to say the <laughs> other the other thing that I think would have spared Erica from you know the quote unquote taboo. Um, the real issue becomes if you are voicing a character that you do for them professionally. That's where mm. it gets a little bit. Oh yeah. Uh, sure. Then you're it, then, then you're risking running afoul. But if you're yeah. an, if you're just doing an unofficial thing and you are not the official voice. Yeah, eh, no, no one's going to care. They'll just have a good laugh. The streams. Exactly, exactly. So that's why it's it's kind of a non-issue in an instance like that. Um, so that that was the only thing I was going to cut in on about that particular point. Yeah. Also, I realize how the heck have we gotten so far in the episode? I've already covered, you know, memes and iconic phrases and scenes that have come out of, uh, you know, these 
different series. And, well, one, for a moment, I had to remind myself that It's Over 9000 was not part of an abridged series. That is correct. Weirdly enough. I was like, yeah, Over 9000. It's everywhere. And I was like, wait a minute. No, that, that was real. That was real. Yeah. As, as it would be put in Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged, little overlay for respective lines, actual four kids dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, for Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged children's card game. Just, we, we are going to be settling our disputes with a children's card game that they never call it, I, I think they might call it Duel Monsters occasionally, but it is frequently re- referred to as a children's card game because, well, that's what it is. And that little, you know, side nudge of uh, uh, just children's card game has become a thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! vernacular and even proliferated a little bit into Magic the Gathering. It's not a common thing you hear, but uh, just for TCGs in general, the concept of children's card game has become a term. Yeah, um, and and going to the the Dragon Ball side of things, I, I I'm surprised I haven't just started blurting out all of the other uh, the greatest hits. Um, you know, Nappa has so many good lines. Uh, you know, just where to even begin like i saw a few of them going through the chat like hey vegeta it's a pokemon <laughs> vegeta vegeta <laughs> and even then one of my favorite go-tos um which i know i used for dragon ball stuff fairly recently uh there's a bit from the uh the, the first broly movie uh their their fan dub parody of that uh where vegeta is summarizing his reaction that i think I think it's very, very relatable to many Dragon Ball fans when they learn of uh, original flavor Broly's origins. That, that That's so dumb, but he's so cool. But that's so dumb. <laughs> that's, I, I just love sharing that clip when I hear something that fits that exact criteria. Jeez, um, again, that is that one series alone is such a goldmine. Uh, Ava, Ava Redeath, one of the best gags is a cutaway to this very uh, disco-sounding drum beat, with the with the phrase "It's Gendo," and you just see like every walking shot of Gendo, like put into a little montage, regardless of the context. It's like whenever he enters the room, he gets his little theme song. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that it it definitely has endured past the the original source material because you'll still see you know like. Uh, macros of it floating about because it's one of those things that like if you know you know <laughs> um so there yeah there's there's just some gold to be had in some of these these classic parodies and even the more recent ones uh like you said you know you have the memes that have spun off of it code meant i i think in like another uh, another five or so years like whenever whenever it hits a major milestone even if people forget all about code meant like that there was even a code geass parody they'll still find that soup bit oh yeah there's no soup question. is forever exactly uh so that that's what i'm saying like these that's kind of the legacy of these fan dub parodies and part of why i wanted to shine a spotlight on them uh and really you know draw some attention to especially the ones that predate some of the more popular ones that have for all intents and purposes uh endured and and you know either re uh, rebooted themselves or found found new ways to keep their fandoms alive um because there there is a lot there are a lot of gems and a lot of work was done uh especially in you know the the pre-2006 period to really establish this idea that oh yeah it's a pain in the butt but you can totally just you know homebrew your own your own dub and just do some dumb stuff with it and turn it into an original story or you know a riff on a popular I actually used the concept of an abridged series I hadn't even remembered until just now um for a school project once oh so we please please regale us because this sounds amazing year senior year AP literature we were assigned a film project for Hamlet and uh it was just you had to make a film. It could be whatever you wanted. You were allowed to do claymation, uh, you know, stop motion. You could do just live action stuff in a park, whatever you wanted. It was just, you know, and it was something that this teacher did every year. So, uh, you know, if you were in band or drama or really any activity that had upperclassmen that 
you knew going into AP Lit that you were going to have the Hamlet film project just at our school. It was just a thing. And it was nice. a totally reasonable project, and it was nice to, you know, have a film thing to do because that's always a bit fun and special. Um, and such, my such group, high capacity for, uh, for creativity, which is what I love yeah. about it. It's like you can really and, just, even yeah. if you know, you can just run with it. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, because, uh, you know, it's Hamlet. It, it's uh, Shakespeare. It's a classic. It, you can really customize it, and it was just you had to get in the main parts of the series, or not the series, the 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 play and whatnot um got my group together it was a couple friends from band and we were all nerds uh and i was just very much of the opinion i didn't want to do the vanilla live action we're gonna you know have to scramble together find props do costumes find a good day for all of us to get together and you know shoot a video and it's going to be super awkward because we're high schoolers and we're aware of our own awkwardness and we know that everyone's going to have awkward videos. We don't care that much. But at the same time, if we can avoid all that hassle, why not? So mm -hmm. I suggest, okay, what if we did The Lion King Abridged? And so we did. Oh, Lord. They were open to it, and they, this was, I graduated from high school in 2010. Think of the timeline. It's right there. This is heyday of a bridge series. One of the four people in the group was not familiar with it. One of them very much was. Uh, the other one, I'm pretty sure she was. Uh, so it was not a difficult sell, and basically what we did was we still all got together at one person's house uh, to record because back in that day, not everybody had good recording equipment and whatnot built into their laptops, but um, we had somebody who had a laptop with, you know, good built-in microphone, and I think it was just, uh, I forget which program it was, but it's one of the standard audio video editing softwares, and uh, we ripped the visuals from The Lion King, chopped it up, lined things up, and uh, did our own ridiculous parody fan dub and we we made it comedic we made it like an abridged series but we hit all the you know important bits of hamlet because that's one of the gags of lion king is hamlet so mm -hmm. <laughs> it played pretty well we got a b plus on the project if memory serves hell yeah <laughs> as it should be <laughs> is, it was good it was wonderful. really good oh man so yeah again like there there's this whole world um, within, you know, the, what is essentially AMV culture and has gone on to take on a life of its own and left uh, such an impact on anime fan culture. That's the, that's the most amazing thing about this. It's, it's this weirdly cyclical thing where you have, you know, people doing their, their riffs on the source material, but over time it has become synonymous with not just the source material, but the fandom itself. And that's 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 just a testament to the power of this kind of work. It's one of those things that, you know, uh, really means a lot over here at Digitally or Entertainment, considering, you know, our own fan based roots. I mean, it's it, it all it all comes together. And fan dub parodies are one of the best examples of that. So, yeah, here's to you, not as common you. as they used to be that with the growth of social media and streaming as well, that, you know, the concept of video-based series releases as fan content is not as relevant or prevalent as it used to be because there's so many more just venues and ways that you can do fan content nowadays that it used to be, all right, it was either a still image that you shared on some message board, uh, a meme that you shared on Facebook, or a video you posted on YouTube. And that was about it, but now... With, you know, there's TikToks, there's streams, there's all these different ways to create that fan content. And we have more technology than ever that allows us to do more than ever. So uh, you will now see more frequently stuff on just Twitter or TikTok where it's, all right, they're not going to do the entire series, but they might dub over uh, a scene from the recent episode or switch out the audio from a recent episode to something iconic from, you know, an MCU or from Star Wars or whatnot. And uh, that type of content is much easier to make nowadays 
just because people are more familiar with that type of software and that type of software is more standardly available. So the decline of a bridge series is very logical, but they're still out there that if you search for them, I'm not just the big ones, but some people do make them. It's not the cottage industry it once was, but I don't think that its decline was due to like uh, the fandom thinking that they aren't fun or, uh, you know, copyright things suffocating the potential for them to be made. Part of it's copyright, but more of it is just there's so many other ways to do fan co content nowadays, so naturally it becomes a smaller slice of the pie. And to bring it all around, because I realize we didn't get to mention this before transitioning into our main topic, you still aren't going to get Fly Me to the Moon on the Blu-ray releases because it costs as much as a house to license Oof. that song. <laughs> copyright <laughs> music licensing <laughs> but i'd uh, love to see a documentary on just what happened with fly me to the moon because they got it they had the rights at one point and i guess it lapsed and for whatever reason why didn't they want to renew it even if it's not a full-length documentary i'd like you know a featurette or something on whoever it is that is the rights holder for sinatra's estate or whether it was sold to you know some conglomerate or whatever who decided that they didn't want to renew the license it seems oh, weird i don't know i i don't think it was it was want it was probably need uh they probably jacked up the prices and when you're paying for a house per episode and there's 26 mm. episodes okay that's fair yeah that gets uh that gets a little low pricey little little quick anyway just had to wrap that around but uh as, as i was gonna say so we can start taking us out for the afternoon um obviously i wanted to say you know Thank you to all of the creators of all of these fandom parodies, past, present, future. Uh, you you really have uh, left your own mark on the fandom, and today we salute you. <laughs> so thank you for uh, for your service and for the countless hours of amusement that were derived from the countless hours of work that you put into uh, over on your editing rigs. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'd say indeed. that's a. That's a nice cheerful note to end on after <laughs> complaining about music rights. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Joel, why, what do you uh, what do you say we put a pin in today's episode? Would you like to do the honors, please? Yes, thank you all for listening. This has been episode seventy of Dekai. I'm Joel. He's Mario. Please be sure to follow Digital Era Entertainment on Twitch on Twitter, on Facebook. You can join our Discord. We're going to have a lot of fun stuff. We always have good discussions. One thing I'm going to be doing on the Discord this weekend is uh, Hololive EN Generation 2 is going to be debuting tomorrow, Saturday the 21st. So I'm going to be doing a watch-along just in the voice chat. I'll be streaming not here on Twitch or anything, but uh, in the server. So if you ever wanted to get into VTubers or want to learn more, debuts are some of the best times because, one, it's really cool to see somebody who had to go through you know what was thousands probably tens of thousands of auditions put in and that they got one of five spots that this means they're somebody who knows what they're doing who's very good at content creation this isn't just you know some random person spinning up a channel this is the culmination of five people's careers up until this point and then basically this is them getting leads on broadway they're going to have 100 to 150,000 YouTube subscribers by end of day tomorrow. They already have 150,000 followers on Twitter. And some people might say, oh, well, they haven't done anything. And the truth could not be farther from that. They have put in untold amounts of time and effort to get the opportunity to debut as a Hololive talent. So it's a celebration of what is beginning for them. There's going to be some probably very emotional people on the other side of those screens and also just really entertaining because you can be sure that if they got through this audition process they're gonna be good so five different personalities to meet tomorrow and i'll be on hand for just context and commentary so if you feel like it that's going to be starting at about 1 p.m eastern time and they're doing a relay debut so it's going to be one after another after another and it'll go until probably 8 10 p.m because i think they then have a collaboration with all five of them after the last one debuts so join in for that also be sure to visit our sponsor image anime at imageanime.com or at can't remember the number ludlow street in new york for their pop-up shop at the uh waypoint cafe 
you can use the discount code, uh, sorry, the discount code, discount, D-E-E-S-C-O-U-N-T, for 20% off. Sorry, no, it's discount 20. I'm off today. Uh, for 20% off all of their in-stock items. So that is going to be good from now until the end of the year. So be sure to use it. As I mentioned earlier, we have our next radio drama next Saturday, the 28th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It is going to be The Great Mouse Detective. And last but not least, if you are interested, you can buy our merch at digitalairentertainment.streamelements.com. Mario, have I missed anything? Uh, of course, while you are also checking out stuff, don't forget to check out the teaser for our upcoming wrestling-themed visual novel, Kokoro no Pro, which was originally created by uh, Joel's streaming partner uh, every Thursday here on the channel, RJ Para. Uh, so go and uh, check that out as well while you are checking out all our other stuff. Also, 65 Ludlow Street. <laughs> Didn't want to jump in while you were on Ludlow a good, good, Thank good you, roll but there. At least I've memorized <laughs> Ludlow Street. Yeah, I mean, that's more than I would have had memorized if I wasn't living here or, you know, monitoring every single Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time <laughs> for the for Decode, the Decode podcast. Decode podcast, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes for our weekly happy hour hosted by Neo Ivan of Neo Ivan Gaming. I know I'll be sticking around for the murder time, murder time, fun, fun, fun. And yeah, I think we are otherwise good to go. So what what do you say uh, we, we close it out here? Indeed. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe, stay sane, get your Fauci ouchie, mask up if you're going outside, and we will see you next time on Digital Era Twitch. Mm -hmm.